Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Breda Pest Management, the official pest control of UGA Athletics. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. So obviously we know that next year on the football field, Georgia's going to look a good bit different than it has in really quite some time. Georgia's going to be breaking in a brand new starting quarterback. And it is certainly interesting to consider what the future might look like, given the fact that Stetson Bennett punctuated his career leaving as one of the most decorated signal callers in recent history of the sport. Certainly all time, maybe at Georgia, but also in comparison to a lot of the other quarterbacks around college football in recent years, Stetson Bennett ends up looking about as decorated as any of them do. He was honored yesterday as the uh, Manning Award winner, the top quarterback in the country, the only award given to a top quarterback that considers the postseason uh, success as a part of its formula for how you win the award. Obviously, it's easy to understand why a guy like Bennett would have won an award like that if you're going to consider the postseason because of how good Stetson had been in these really big games that mattered, which obviously then leaves big shoes to feel, fill for the next guy that's going to be on the job. And all three of the guys that are kind of a part of this battle right now, Carson Beck and Brock Vandegrift and Gunnar Stockton, they sort of all bring their own credentials into this. A guy like Carson Beck would seem to have an advantage here, at least for right now, given the fact that he was – the backup quarterback a year ago he was the number two guy and you're presuming that means that during the week he's getting those number two reps valuable practice experience also the guy that's played a little bit more in games there's just something to be well if you were number two before maybe in terms of taking that step towards becoming number one that you've got the shortest path to travel there and to a certain extent when it comes to Carson Beck that might be true however however we also kind of know just based on the way in which the Georgia coaches, Kirby Smart included, have handled this sort of thing in the past, is that Carson Beck is going to be just given anything. He's going to have to go out and earn uh, whatever comes his way. And as he's trying to do that, the other Georgia quarterbacks are going to be fighting the same way to get their same opportunity. A guy like Brock Vandegrift, for instance, is a guy who had massive credentials coming out of high school. This is a guy that could have gone to Oklahoma, Oklahoma for a long time was sort of this sort of quarterback power. Uh, This is a five-star coming out of high school. This is a guy that brings not just a big throwing arm, but a pretty good level of athleticism there as well, the ability to keep plays alive. And obviously, when he was that five-star prospect coming out of high school, this was a guy whose talent certainly got for himself a lot of attention. And then adding to that, a guy like Gunnar Stockton, who himself was also a big-time prospect coming out of high school, record-setting player in the state of Georgia, a guy who's been working as the scout team quarterback this past year. We know what kind of pathway that proved to be in terms of becoming a great starting quarterback because that's what Stetson Bennett once did for Georgia, too. And some folks kind of wonder, well, maybe Stockton traveled sort of a similar path uh, because of the fact that a lot of folks, I think, said he did a pretty good job getting Georgia ready for its run through the college football playoff here this year. So, When you look ahead of the future of the Georgia quarterback, certain fans may gravitate towards certain names, you know, for sure. But I think the thing that all Georgia fans can feel pretty good about is, is that the trio of guys competing for this all have things and aspects about their game that would recommend them. And so, therefore, you, I think, would feel good that the three quarterbacks working together to make a great competition will eventually produce a great winner, or at least they have a great chance of producing a great winner 
no matter who that winner ends up being. And obviously, as we kind of get a little closer and start moving towards uh, spring practice and things like that, we're going to talk a little bit more about these guys on the field and kind of what they bring to the table. And you better believe if any time a Georgia coach or a Georgia pl- player during spring says anything about them, we'll have our ear to the ground and we'll probably be certainly analyzing, if not overanalyzing, everything they say along the way to what's going to maybe give us a little bit of a hint, a little bit of a glimpse as to who that guy ends up being. But Here's what I think also a lot of you kind of know, too, is that the actual battle to be the next Georgia starting quarterback doesn't necessarily begin when spring practice starts. It actually begins right now, and it may have began started way before that, but it's at least a big thing that's going on right now. Now, we don't see this necessarily. The watchful eye of fans, the watchful eye of media, we don't get a chance to peer in on this. But the work of building a football team begins at the beginning of the calendar year. And that means the Georgia quarterbacks, the three we just mentioned, trying to be the starter for next year's team, they also have their chance to say, hey, watch the way I lead right now. Watch the way people follow me right now. I'm making my case to be the Georgia starting quarterback here right now, still several weeks before spring practice begins. In fact, the guy who I think gave gave us a really good window into that is a uh, man who's traveled that path himself. Former Georgia quarterback Jake Fromm joins us each week here on Dog Nation Daily. And yesterday when he was on the show, and if you didn't get a chance to hear the full interview, it's certainly worth your time to do that. Go back and hear yesterday's show for that. But Jake Fromm kind of talked about this portion of the year, this early wintertime pre-spring practice, what this means for Brock Vandegrift and Carson Beck and Gunnar Stockton as they battle to become the Georgia starting quarterback. How do you take the first steps towards doing that? I thought Jake said some really good things about that yesterday. Yeah, it's time to go to work. You know, they have these winter workouts coming up here soon. And for them, it's it's a lot about getting in shape and getting their bodies ready, but really it's a lot about mental toughness. It's about finding who the leaders are uh, on the team, who's going to step up and be the guy. And uh, it's a great opportunity for uh, for Carson, uh, for Brock, and for Gunner um, even to, to show up and say, hey, I, I want to be the guy. This is my, my team. I'm going to grab it by the reins, and uh, I want to drive this boat. So it's a great opportunity for those guys. I love the way that uh, Jake Fromm says that. He says the beginning of that conversation, it's time to go to work. And that really kind of lays it out here is that all three of these guys now have their opportunity. And I think that Jake's right about this. They have the opportunity right now to cultivate themselves as leaders. Now, let me ask a very simple question. How do you know someone's a leader? And I mean this in the simplest sense. You know someone's a leader if they have followers. And we'll know which of these quarterbacks is leading for Georgia, or at least the inside of the team room. They'll know which of these quarterbacks is leading for Georgia based on the comfort and the and the the ease with which the other players kind of choose to follow here. We know that that's one of the things that Stetson Bennett was, I think, pretty good at doing. It seems like uh, he kind of won the team over. He kind of earned their trust. Remember uh, after the Florida game in 2021? Stetson had struggled a little bit that day. The Georgia offense wasn't great, but a guy like Nolan Smith stood up and spoke up and really vouched for Bennett in a huge way that day. And I think that kind of demonstrated that this Georgia team wanted to follow Stetson Bennett. He had made himself a leader as quarterback because of the fact that the rest of the team wanted to follow him. And I think the same thing exists as an opportunity for these Georgia quarterbacks here right now. 
They can show themselves as a leader by earning some followers among these Georgia players. And in so many ways, the players will be, I guess, the first to cast their ballot as to who this Georgia quarterback is. And you better believe the coaches will notice, especially with everything that Kirby Smart talks about, about this being kind of a player-led team. And obviously his belief that that's a really valuable thing to have, that player leadership. You better believe the way in which the players kind of gravitate to one of these guys, maybe more so than the other, that'll go a long way towards determining who the actual starting quarterback ends up being. Now, this is something that's, that Jake Fromm himself did very well during his Georgia tenure there, too. You'll remember, at least a lot of you will, when Fromm first showed up here in the class of 2017, it seems like right away Jake Fromm was earning some praise for himself from his coach Kirby Smart, you know, maybe from some others around there as a guy who kind of stepped up and became a part of this quarterback competition, even though in the eyes of a lot of people, Georgia had an established quarterback at the time in Jacob Eason, who had been former five-star, former Gatorade player of the year uh, as a freshman there in 2016 and kind of earned that starting job. But Jake Fromm wasn't deterred when he stepped on here to say I'm also going to make my own pitch for a chance at playing time and I'm going to push Jacob Eason but eventually kind of push my way into the job of being a quarterback and so I asked Jake yesterday how did you do that understanding that the way in which Jake kind of traveled that path for himself in 2017 is also a little bit of a window in how these other quarterbacks they're not true freshmen they've all been here at least a year in the case of Carson Beck a good bit longer than that uh, even you know Vandergriff's now been here for a couple of years so they're not true freshmen the way that Jake was but they are stepping into a bigger role the way that Jake had to when he first arrived on campus so I asked Jake yesterday how did you create the comfort that allowed you to get a chance to go out there and do that this is what Jake said about that for me, I was very confident in my abilities, and I knew what I was good at. Um, I was confident in how I worked, um, and I think guys fed on that. You know, I want to be able to be as close to the line. I want to be confident, but I want to be as close to the line of cocky uh, as I can be with being on the confident side. Uh, I think guys respect work. I think guys respect uh, being authentic, um, and that, that's what I was, and that's what I think it's going to take. Uh, for for whoever wants to be the guy at quarterback is going to have to be be real, be authentic, be willing to work, be willing to put in extra work. Um, I think guys are going to feed off that. Once again, this is a very honest admission from Jake Fromm, and it's the kind of window into the quarterback situation that I think you maybe only get from a guy who's been this. I love the way that Jake describes this. He says, hey, for me, in terms of the right persona, the right demeanor to be the Georgia quarterback, I wanted to be confident, but I wanted to have that confidence level turned up almost right to the point of actually being cocky maybe not quite fully cocky because that's not always the kind of thing that's going to uh, earn you a lot of respect in a tough uh, situation like the Georgia locker room where uh, players have kind of been through the ringer in the SEC certainly more than Jake had been at that point in time but I want to be confident enough almost right to that line because there is a sense in which confidence is just contagious and listen the one thing that you'll know about Stetson Bennett during his time here at Georgia is that he had confidence in spades and at times I think that he kind of set himself up as the kind of player where other Georgia players could borrow that confidence. When you look to Cross and Stetson there at the quarterback spot, and he just didn't seem to be rattled or didn't seem to be shaken by what was going on, that became the kind of thing that the rest of the team could feed on is that when tough times come, and they always come in the SEC, whether you're preseason number one or not, when tough times come, you know, 
Does it look like the people that you're in battle with? Does it look like they're at peace with everything that's going on there? And uh, Jake said, as a quarterback, I want to display the kind of confidence that allowed my teammates to believe I could handle what was coming, but I wanted to stop just short of being cocky. Now, here's the trick. And another example of I think that Jake being you know, very authentic, very real, very, very honest, because like the one thing that he said also yesterday was, is that while you want to dial up that confidence and you want to be the most confident version of yourself, the one thing you can't be, though, is you can't be a phony. You can't fake it. If that's not what you really have going on, if that's not the, if, if, if that's not the real level of self-belief that you have, then it's actually worse to sort of try to put on the air in that direction than it is just sort of be what you are, that, that it is a very, very tough situation trying to step up like this and maybe get found out as something that you're not. Once again, very, very honest words from Jake Fromm on yesterday's show. Here's Jake one more time. Oh, man, they, they see right through it, um, and, and really, it, it does even worse for you um, than just being real and being who you are. Um, and I, I think that, that speaks for football, speaks for being a quarterback, uh, speaks for in, in life in general as well. So let me make, kind of make a point to kind of wrap all this up here for a moment. There is a lot of the quarterback evaluation that we're not going to chance to be a part of because a lot of this is going to take place behind closed doors. But the stuff that Jake Fromm is talking about right now is the kind of stuff that we can at least formulate some sort of opinion on. And in fact, if you go to the Dog Nation video channels, the YouTube page in particular, going back to Los Angeles when we were there for the national championship, our buddy Mike Griffith, who we'll hear from here coming up in a couple of moments, we had a chance to, to sit down for a little bit with Carson Beck. I talked to Carson Beck just briefly uh, myself prior to the Peach Bowl, but uh, Mike had a longer conversation with Carson and Brock Vandegrift and Gunnar Stockton. And you can watch those interviews and you can really kind of look for the kind of stuff that Jake Fromm's talking about right there. Is that a good quarterback, a guy who's on his way to becoming a starting quarterback for a team, he ought to exude a certain sense of confidence. And it ought to be kind of right to the level of being cocky. Probably doesn't want to kind of spill over into actually being cocky because that ends up, be, ends up being a turnoff. And it probably doesn't want to kind of come across as fake or phony because for the, for the players in the locker room, as Jake Fromm said, that's definitely going to be a turnoff there as well. But this is the kind of thing that you can judge, you can evaluate. My guess is we get closer to spring practice, we probably will look a little more closely at some of those interviews that those guys gave. And you can kind of decide for yourself who sounds like a quarterback, who feels comfortable, ready to take that next step. Is it Carson Beck because he was the number two? Are one of these young guys going to uh, put a little bit of pressure on him and maybe kind of say, I'm going to jump the line for my chance of being the uh, Georgia quarterback? Listen, I think this is a fun conversation. And I think Georgia fans probably likely know that no matter which of the guys wins, that ultimately Georgia's probably likely to be in good hands at the quarterback spot here next year. And it's simply a matter of allowing the weeks to unfold, the months to unfold, to decide which guy that is. But Georgia's in a very good position to have three talented guys, all with their chance to show what they're all about. And as the spring unfolds, we'll find out exactly what the future of the Georgia quarterback spot actually looks like. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is uh, Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We are presented today by Breda Pest Management, and we're happy to have you with us no matter how you get to us live on video. We start at 945 on our first and 15, dognation.com, and on the Dog Nation app, 10 a.m. after that, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. We're also on the radio at noon on Athens Sports Radio 960 The Ref and as a podcast, wherever you find them including the world-famous dognation.com. Just great to have you with us, no matter which of those platforms you choose to use. Also, a big thanks to our friends at Breda 
pest management for making it all possible. You know, they're the official pest control provider of UGA Athletics. It's a really cool company to do business with because of their deep ties to UGA. As you've heard me say before, it's fun to support those that support the dogs. But here's the other cool thing there as well, is that Breda Pest Management takes that kind of prestige the strength they have in this organization and they want to leverage that for your benefit because you know they've been around since like 1975 they got like 125 employees out there working hard and you know that sort of like family-owned legacy that history of success the the name brand that's built for them they're going to use that strength to actually save you big money when you make the switch to breda for your you know, your termite protection, your pest control protection, protection. you're going to put more money in your pocket instantly just for making the switch to Breda Pest Management. And right now, anything that can be done to put more money in your pocket is the thing you should do with your current termite uh, company or your pest control company. You may be getting that letter in the mail that says the cost of service is going up. So many things seemingly are getting more expensive. So how about making the switch to Breda Pest Management and put more money back in your pocket? Go to BredaPest.com. That's B-R-E-D-A bradapest.com for more on this the official pest control provider of uga athletics good friends of ours here on dog nation daily and a great resource for you with the bugs the critters the 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 stuff that wants to get in your house this time of year because it's cold outside and they want to get in where it's warm uh all the folks there breda pest manager take good care of you on all of that so find them online bradapest.com b-r-e-d-a bradapest.com for more on that all right we're going to get Mike Griffith here coming up in just a moment. Uh, prior to that, though, let's go around the doghouse. I want to give you a little bit of a note here on recruiting, which I think is neat. And I think you'll also kind of think this is neat for maybe more reasons than one here, too. So we talked earlier about the uh, thought that George is going to be in home with five-star tight end Deuce Robinson this week. But that apparently is not the only big-time tight end that Georgia has visited because Walker Lyons, very impressive prospect from Folsom, California, uh, has shown off some pictures here as of late. The Georgia coach is visiting with him there, too. Let me show you this on the screen here. Uh, you see Lions there in the middle. Uh, you see a collection of Georgia coaches, including Todd Hartley and Kirby Smart and Todd Munkin, all gathering around Lions. Now, the story with the Lions is a pretty interesting one. Jeff Sentel's actually talked to you about this a lot at dognation.com. The fact that Lions is a 2023 prospect and a very good one is uh, actually, according to the composite, number five tight end in the entire country. So Georgia already got you know Pierce Sperlin and uh, Lawson Lucky in the fold and trying to get Deuce Robinson. And now you're in, in big shape with uh, Walker Lions potentially there as well. So this is a big-time prospect there from that standpoint. But he's also a member of the Church of Latter-day Saints, and uh, his mission, his uh, you know, which is traditionally something that goes on, on uh, for folks in that church community, um, I guess he's about to go on that. So if he signs with Georgia, he won't be like an immediate arrival. It could be a year from now, whatever else. I'll read you the quote here from a story that Jeff did with um, – lions at dognation.com just last week so lion says it is traditionally two years the the uh, the, the mission trips they go on he says but it's a lot more flexible now than in the past it used to be maybe 15 or 20 years ago it's really like your own kind of deal for george i've expressed to them that it would be around 12 to 17 months so not a full two years the way you maybe would have heard in the past maybe a year maybe a year and a half he said i'd be enrolling in the spring or summer of 2024 if he came to georgia so i think uh so I kind of like wanted to do that timeline there that I have. They wanted that. That made sense for them. So in other words, this could be a player that Georgia gets now that becomes more like a 2024 guy. I guess you would think of him a little bit more of a 2024 guy. Uh, and then you're left to conclude, well, what 
class does it count on then? Does it count for class of 2023 or what? I guess it would still count as class of 2023, but there's also not a 25-man hard cap anymore, so ultimately that may not even be as important as to which class he actually counts in um, as it maybe would have been in the past. We'll talk to Jeff Sintel more about the logistics of that a little bit later on, but the presence of these Georgia coaches around Lions gives you the the sense here that not only is Georgia well-stocked in this current class of tight end to go along with you know the emergence of a guy like Oscar Delt maybe on the field here this year, but the future potential looks bright there as well if Lions does end up arriving here at Georgia. Now, the other thing, and admittedly this may be the most interesting part of this, is for a lot of folks who continue to wonder, what is the future of Todd Munkin? Is it real that Munkin uh, is being considered for NFL offensive coordinator jobs and maybe more significant than that, that Munkin himself might be considering some of these jobs? Is that a real situation? Is that something going on? Well, obviously, we don't know much beyond just the rumor mill stuff here right now, but the presence of Munkin way out in California recruiting on behalf of Georgia would at least seem to suggest something pretty good there in that regard. You know, we've kind of talked about this as it relates to Glenn Schumann, that for a lot of the Bama fans who wanted to believe that Schumann was a possibility to be their replacement for Pete Golding as defensive coordinator, the large collection of photos recently of Schumann out recruiting for George and some of the things that he said would seem to throw a little bit of cold water on that. And maybe the the presence of Munkin out here with Hartley and with Kirby recruiting Walker Lions maybe that should do the same thing there on that front too not the only time by the way that um that Munkin's been spotted out in the recruiting trail as of late so uh, just something to keep in mind there that one of the guys going in home with Walker Lions is uh Todd Munkin and you know certainly if Georgia Turner win these recruiting battles I don't know that you take a coach with you that you don't think you're going to have because that just becomes one more thing you got to explain to the parents when it's all said and done so are we grasping here a little bit by pointing out this Maybe so, but uh, nonetheless, wanted to make sure you know that was out there. And we'll make that around the doghouse here, presented by Breda, uh, I should say on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pest Management here today. All right, so before we're done, I thought you got some really good stuff from Stetson Bennett. Uh, we played some of the Bennett stuff for you yesterday, but there's some more stuff from the Bennett press conference with the Manning folks that I wanted you to hear because it's kind of a nice reflection on his time at UGA and kind of a good way for us to close out our show today. We'll do that. Also, a Georgia player is going to earn a golden shoe today for a very, very funny reason. We'll give you that. Um, one of the coaches that Georgia fans love to hate, do they get a chance to hate him again very soon? At least possibility. We'll talk about that here, too. Alabama fans are kind of embarrassing themselves with a little bit of a silly debate. We'll talk about that there as well. So we got busy stuff before the show is done. For now, though, on everything going on with UGA, uh, let's cover all those bases right now as we welcome in Do- uh, Mike Griffith to Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pest Management. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. All right, we got a lot to talk to with uh, Mike Griffith about, including some of the uh, Munkin stuff that I was just mentioning a moment ago. We'll get to that here before it's all said and done there as well. Um, Mike, let me bring you in, I, I guess, on a uh, more serious topic here for a moment. We haven't done a ton on the Ra Ra Thomas situations because you know, I really feel like comfortable speculating about what's going on in the situation like that. So much of that sort of feels up in the air. We did get an update on uh, this yesterday, though. So can I bring you in on this? What does the new information about Rara Thomas tell us, if anything, about this situation here right now? Do you feel more comfortable talking about this based on what we learned on this yesterday? Well, I don't know if 
comfortable is the word. I mean, anytime you've got a, a domestic type of situation like this, it can quickly, you know, dissolve into a he said, she said. And, you know, getting the police report uh, from University of Georgia Police, not, not the Athens-Clark County uh, Police Department, just to be clear, this was a University of Georgia campus uh, police report as it happened in one of the halls on campus. Uh, you know, Ra-Ra, Rodarius Ra-Ra was, was uh, an out-of-state visitor from Mississippi. Um, I believe it listed the girl as 17 years old. It sounded like a, a girlfriend from Mississippi uh, was what I was able to take from that report. And then kind of a he said, she said, you know, uh, apparently in the police report, it's uh, the, the claims by the two, the that, you know, Ra-Ra was upset because she started following somebody on Instagram. It, it sounds very high schoolish, and I don't want to diminish the importance or the seriousness of it, but um, because I, I don't know all the detail. I know what's in the police report. There's two stories, and, you know, like I said, he said, she said. There were some witnesses as their argument uh, carried out into the hallway verbally. But as far as who did what, um, you know, these are serious charges when you get into false imprisonment. I mean, that's a, a, a felony. Um, you know, getting in an argument with your girlfriend and standing in front of her when she wants to leave, I mean, that's, that is technically a felony, um, if that's what happened. You know, these are all allegations, though. So, you know, comfort is definitely not the right word because it's all speculative, yeah. and it's very hard um, to speculate. And, and it leaves a lot of people, we go down the slippery slope of, you know, well, doesn't the, don't these type of arguments happen all over the country every day on all these college campuses? And, you know, why are we talking about the Georgia? Well, because, and this is where we have to recognize, there is a difference when you are a player at the University of Georgia. You become a public figure. And different rules and laws apply to you. And you might say, man, that's a lot to ask for a 19-year-old or an 18-year-old that suddenly you're in a fishbowl and every little traffic ticket that you get, or in this case, domestic dispute or every problem that you enter into, whatever bar you go into, whatever bit. Now, all of a sudden you're part of the news because you're a public figure. And so public figures don't have the same privacy protections legally as the average ordinary citizen. You know, Brandon Adams, public figure, Mike Griffith, but we also live in somewhat of a fishbowl and we're not quite as protected by some of the laws of privacy and, and you know, slander and things like that. So it's, it's, uh, it's ugly. It's an unfortunate part of being a student athlete uh, at a place like Georgia. Um, you get a lot of positive attention. Uh, you're riding parades with people lined up to cheer you. Um, people want your autograph. People want to buy your jersey number. You can now sign NIL deals to, you know, sell chicken or milk or whatever. Uh, but the flip side is that a lot of scrutiny comes with being a UGA football player or basketball player or, you know, any uh, high-profile athlete. So there's a lot of dynamics here. Um, to your point, uh, it, it's, it's important um, for you. This was one of the two transfers, and Kirby Smart uh, talks all the time about character and how this is the first thing that he looks at. And this calls that into question. Did he miss, or is this an isolated incident? And and then and now what, right? Because if you're rah-rah Thomas, you've used up your one transfer. You can't just go somewhere else and play next year. If you're out of Georgia, you're out, period, for next year. And maybe indefinitely if it's a felony. Um, so this is serious business. I don't know how it holds up. It's allegations, as we talked about. We preface everything by saying these are just allegations. Uh, there's not been due process yet. 
Um, you know, there's the argument, this argument to be made, Brandon, and in the NFL you see this sometimes. Um, if, if he hasn't been tried and found guilty, should he be suspended? Do you suspend someone until they go through the process? Are they innocent until proven guilty or guilty until proven innocent? So there is a lot of directions we can go with this. Um, we'd rather not be talking about it at all, but because he's a high-profile transfer at very much a neat position at the X with A.D. Mitchell having gone back to Texas, um, it becomes pertinent to Georgia's football success next year. And so uh, one of the things we discuss. Yeah, complicated issue for sure, and frankly not the most fun thing in the world to talk about, but obviously a real thing that uh, Georgia's dealing with right now. Mike, I thought you had an interesting piece at dognation.com looking at the possibility that Georgia could have a second straight number one overall pick. And I just think that when you're trying to, like, I I guess, you know, fully explain how it is that Georgia has had the kind of unprecedented success on the field they've had, certainly for the college football playoff era, kind of a degree of unprecedented success, you start trying to explain, well, how has that happened? The kind of top-end, front-end performances, the likes of which Trayvon Walker gave you from the 2021 season, and that Jalen Carter, when he was healthy, gave you in the 2022 season, that goes a long way towards explaining that. And obviously, whether Carter goes number one overall or not, I think he's likely to be drafted uh, quite high here. And that just really is the thing that has made Georgia Georgia is, is that they have had the benefit of just some some dominant guys on defense. And I think it would really be demonstrated if Georgia could really put back-to-back number ones together. That'd be a pretty big um, pretty big line on the resume for Kirby Smart as a coach, I believe that would be the case. Oh, no doubt. And on the recruiting trail as well. And, you know, you say, well, when is last time? Well, Oklahoma did it with the quarterbacks, though, um, with Kyler Murray and, and uh, Baker Mayfield. So, it, it, yes, Georgia's defense has been the key to the last two national titles. I don't think anybody would deny the dominance and the complementary football. And it's a lot easier to play offense when you're not playing from behind. We saw that for sure. One time Georgia had to play from behind. Everybody had to hold their breath at Missouri. And as Kirby said, Kenny McIntosh had to carry that team. Um, I think the line of scrimmage, though. I, I don't want every. I don't want anybody to ignore that Broderick Jones is also a projected first rounder. And what a wonderful job! Uh, the Georgia offensive line coaches did with Broderick Jones. I, I'll admit, when Sam Pittman left, I, I'll never forget, Brandon, walking out of Mercedes-Benz Stadium uh, in 2019 after Georgia lost to LSU 37-10. to And Sam Pittman was leaving. And I'm thinking, holy cow, is, is, this, is this the end? Like, was, was that it? 2017, you're one play away, Jake Fromm shoulda, coulda, woulda been a national championship quarterback if his, you know, think about the split, right? Stetson gets the field goal miss, Jake has the safety blow, the coverage, what's really, you know, Jake coulda won a title too, but, you know, in 2018, you know, Walker gets hurt, you, you lose a two-touchdown lead to Alabama, and, and, and then 2019, Jake doesn't have any receivers, what did Kirby call it, musical chairs, uh, you know, uh, Cheney had left, there were questions about the coordinator, and they lose 37-10, to 10 and Sam Pittman's going out the door. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, is that it for Georgia football or for Kirby? Was that, was that the Kirby smart run? And unbelievably, unbelievably enough, Kirby is able to hire Matt Luke, which was the perfect hire at the perfect time. There weren't many guys out there that had Sam's charisma and rep, but Matt Luke was one of them. Uh, he was able to find Todd Munkin, and he threw everything against the wall, and he brought in Jamie Newman. He never even saw the light of day. 
JT wasn't ready to start in the opener. You know, Dwan had recovered from brain surgery, but he wasn't ready to play. You know, and this guy's walk on named Stetson Bennett comes in, right? Who could have written that script when we left the stadium in 2019 after they lost to LSU 37 to 10? Think about how remarkable and resilient Kirby Smart and his staff has been. And I'm bringing that up because when Sam left, I wondered if this is the end of dominant Georgia offensive line play because from what you and, and Centel's Intel had told me, this is what was always missing was great offensive line play. And now between Matt Luke and Stacey Sarrell, they, they got another first-round pick. It's Broderick Jones, he's done a remarkable – and Marius Mims is on deck. At right tackle, he's going to be a monster next year. Cedric Van Pran likes the staff and the offensive line coaching enough that he's coming back. This is huge for Georgia. So line play, yes, defense for sure, and the back-to-back number one picks of defense. If the Bears do take Jalen Carter, which I I hope they do because I think he's a game-changer. So, yes, defense is first and foremost when people think about Georgia. But line play, offensive line play was huge. I mean, Stetson was only sacked nine times in 15 games. He was bulletproof. Robert Jones didn't give up a sack at left tackle. Think of all the elite pass rushers he faced. So, uh, yes, the, the NFL draft is going to be another commercial for George, albeit not 15 picks like last year. But I think you're going to have three. Probably I would say three is the over-under for the first round. Kuyper says two. I've seen four. Three first-rounders, probably eight or nine guys picked. And then wherever Stetson goes, that'll be a story too. If he's sixth round, seventh round, free agent, you know, that's going to be a little, you know, kind of story of its own. So there's going to be a lot of positive attention for Georgia in this NFL draft process. I want to finish with this. We've obviously been following pretty closely lately with some of these coaching rumors that are out there. You had the Glenn Schumann thing there for a while. It seems like that's kind of quieted down now with the notion that he might be leaving to go to Alabama. I haven't heard anything about that since then. The Munkin thing, though, does seem to be more substantial. And, you know, Mike, what I said about this on Friday is – is that the sense that I get is is real enough that you've had multiple NFL insiders sort of bringing this up, and yet the one thing that the people close to the situation in Tampa seem to be saying, and really I guess right here the, the, the Georgia part of this you know kind of factors in this too, which is no one really knows if he's really interested in this job or not. That that somehow the name is out there and it's kind of out there by multiple different people, but you know it, it's not obvious that this is coming from Munkin himself here. Uh, we showed a, f- a photo a moment ago of Munkin out recruiting this week way out in California, which is not the kind of thing that someone seemingly about to leave the NFL would be doing necessarily. So um, what I've told my audience is I think it's something you ought to take seriously. I think you ought to be watching for it closely. But there's obviously no strong indication that Munkin is going to do this. There may be some reason to believe that that he might not, you know, not or at least reasons why he might not. Uh, but ultimately, it is a little bit of a mystery exactly how he views the NFL here right now. That's been kind of our feeling on this. Mike, what's your own personal feeling about this? And how closely do you think Georgia fans should be watching this? Yeah, well, a couple things. One on Schumann, I think he just had his third child, uh, his wife. And I saw a tweet where he said that Tresman Marshall will sure. be missed right, right in right. Alabama. So right. that led me to believe he's not going with him. One and two, as you know, and anyone with a family knows that you know, when you just have a baby and you've already got it, that's not exactly a prime time opportunity to want to, you know, be moving around and leaving your family behind while you look for a new home. So I, I think I feel pretty good. And, and I don't think Schumann was interested. I mean, Alabama, I don't even, it's not even a parallel job. I mean, there's a lot of question marks there. I mean, why, you know, Georgia and, and Schumann is very close with Kirby. Um, you know, he's Kirby's protege. I mean, he's been with Kirby side by side. And you listen to Glenn talk 
and you hear Kirby in his in his comments. I mean, you know, people want to say Kirby learned from Nick. Well, Glenn learned from Kirby, and he's in a great position. He's 32 years old, and he saw Dan Lanning uh, vault from this position to Oregon, which was probably one of the top four or five coaching jobs in the country, if you ask me. So why why leave just to leave? You go, oh, well, he went to school. There. Yeah, well, you know, it's, it's a diploma, okay? So I, I think Schumann I, I feel really good about. Um, as for Munkin, yeah, I, absolutely. I just I posted a story about the three off-season priorities, and Todd Munkin is number one. Number one, the most important, and more than any player by far, goodness, by far. It didn't matter. I mean, what, JT Daniels set a record for QB rating. He's 7-0 and under him. You know, and Stetson comes in and does amazing things under him. I mean, the three highest QB ratings have been Todd Munkin offenses. And, and you know, they've had great talent before. It's not like Georgia hadn't had talent at quarterback or – they had more talent. I mean, Matt Stafford was the number one overall pick, for goodness sake. Aaron Murray is the SEC's all-time leading passer. And Todd Munkin did all this with a walk-on quarterback that no other SEC team offered a scholarship to or any other Power 5 school. So, yeah, this, this guy is ingenious. Um, his system, he's a step ahead. All those fourth quarters, those plays are set up. Munkin, Munkin like any good offensive coordinator, it's, it's chestnut checkers and he shows you A, he shows you A, he shows you A, you see A, you expect A, and you get B out of it. Those are the setup plays. And, and the way he's able to teach it and the way he's able to build the scheme around his talent. Now, that said, that said, Stetson Bennett made some nice plays. Darnell Washington was an impossible matchup. Brock Bowers is one of a kind. You want to know who to build a statue of? That guy. He's amazing. That guy, everybody starts with number 19. Kenny McIntosh, one of only three players with over 800 yards rushing, 500 yards receiving, and 10 touchdowns. Munkin's had some pieces. We talked about the offensive line. He has had some pieces. But what he's done uh, is unprecedented, Brandon, and I think he is the most important piece of this program next to Kirby Smart that you must find a way to keep. And the good news is when we interviewed Munkin, and I know you were also there, mm-hmm. This guy's fun to talk to. Yeah. He's, you know, yeah, he's this gruff, coarse. I guess Stetson called him anal. Uh, he's this tough guy. You can tell. You know, Todd Munkin is. You know, put your PG rating up when he's in the room. But he's fun. He's fun. He's funny. You know, someone said, "Oh, what about the family?" He has no family. He said, "If I suck, you're going to fire me." You know, and we all laugh, but he's telling the truth. So, and I think, but I think Todd Munkin, the Grinch. Or what did, what did Warren Brinson call him, the white tornado? Uh, I think he feels loved. I think he feels wanted. I think he likes George, and I think in Kirby, even though him and Kirby are very different, very different, I think these are two coarse, rough guys that can say all these things to each other and yet like the other guy, even though they are from completely different planets. And the fact that Mike Bobo came in and really tied the knot you know, and, and I love the way Munkin told us the story about how Kirby came to him and was asking him about hiring Bobo. He goes, you know, like he wanted my opinion on it, even though I knew he was going to hire him no matter what I said. Well, he's right, right? But then Munkin says Bobo was awesome to work with. Bobo did all these menial tasks that you wouldn't expect a guy to happily and gleefully do as a good teammate. And, and Bobo made the offense better. And you don't often hear geniuses like Munkin, the artists, offensive artists, want to give credit to somebody else. But he said, you know what? He made us better. He, he called these plays. So George has found some really, really, really good chemistry here. Now, all that said, it's still college ball versus the NFL. You're Munkin. You've got two national titles. 
Do you got a Super Bowl ring yet? You know, I don't know. What we don't, and, and George is as good as it gets for a coordinator for where Munkin's at. Carson Beck, Brock Vandergriff, Gunnar Stockton, they're all here because of Munkin. Don't kid yourself. They love this guy. That's why they're willing to be backups. They feel Brock Vandergriff's video, if you haven't seen it, you know, he's, I'm learning more from Coach Munkin than I would be playing somewhere else. That's just That just speaks volumes, volumes. We don't know Munkin's end game. Okay, the guy's 56 years old, so there's a few questions. How long does he want to coach? If he only wants to coach another three years, then you jump to the NFL because you don't really care about the job security. But if you plan on coaching another 10, 15 years, then Georgia gives you that job security, and you might even be better with Carson Beck, who Jake Fromm told us at Marlowe's last year is a prototypical NFL quarterback. This might be a you-ain't-seen-nothing-yet type of situation from the Georgia offense, especially with his receivers they brought in. So we don't know the end game for Munkin. We don't know the goal, the career goals for Munkin. Financial, I don't think, is a situate is an issue. I don't think he wants to be a college football head coach, or I think he could have done that. Does he want to be an NFL head coach? I don't know. I don't know that he really – I think he's a pretty happy guy. But who knows? He may be mulling it over. There's 10 offensive coordinator openings. Yeah. So, yes, you should absolutely be worried about this. You should absolutely monitor this. But you should also know that Georgia has given Munkin – the optimal situation, and if he walked away, it would have nothing to do with the University of Georgia or how good his situation is. It would have to do with his career ambitions and goals. Mike, uh, good stuff. Thanks for helping us fulfill our ambitions and goals here on the show here today. Uh, good information, <laughs> and we'll look forward to talking to you soon. Thanks, Brandon. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. I think a lot of that's really true. Um, you know, I, I think... I think it's difficult to know like what he might want and you know some people just want certain things right uh i mean let's say like if i was a coach which i'm not but if i was you know the idea of being like the guy in college that just sort of energized me in a way in which like i just have never cared that much about the nfl i mean it's just never been that 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 big of a thing to me and for some people that's the ultimate dream you know, I think different people are sort of wired different ways. Obviously, Munkin was in the NFL. That was something that he did. Uh, but now he's been in college. He's had the greatest success of his coaching life here working at Georgia. And it'd be easy to understand why you would want to just sort of keep right on doing what's obviously brought you more success than almost anything else has. Because, you know, it, it's just been a, a successful time. And, and, and don't, I think, short change. If you go and watch, like I had a pretty good interview with him uh back during uh my time in los angeles there were other you know press conference things were even longer than that there's a certain aspect of the munkin personality that i do think has served him well at georgia because he is i guess gruff is the word you'd use he's a little bit gruff he's certainly a no-nonsense guy um you know he he kind of has that that persona i think that helps you with a coach like kirby because Kirby is such a hard-driving personality. I mean, Kirby is such a sharp edge, and that's one of the things that, that makes him so successful. But if you're in a meeting situation with Kirby, and Kirby's sort of, you know, always kind of race car in the red type thing, you know, he's always kind of running at like 110% of his, you know, kind of capabilities. If you can't match that level of energy, if you can't match that level of intensity, then you just get trampled on. And so, you know, a coaching staff is about sharing ideas and it's about kind of a combination of ideas that ultimately become a game plan and maybe ultimately become a philosophy of how you run the program. And Kirby's got a lot of strong opinions, you would imagine. Kirby's got a lot of strong beliefs. And so, therefore, as a coach, 
If you can't step in and forcefully articulate your own beliefs, then you're just going to get stomped on. Well, Munkin's not going to get stomped on in a situation like that, and I think that's one of the reasons why he's had more success than previous Georgia offensive coordinators had had uh, working with Kirby Smart. I think the Munkin personality has probably helped with that, even though sometimes maybe it's not the rosiest, loviest, doviest type personality. I'm not quite so sure that's what you need sometimes in a uh, meeting room situation where these coaches are in there just sort of shouting out ideas and, you know, no one's being polite, no one's, you know, worried about, you know, sounding good for the media because the media's not in there. People are just sort of talking. They're just being real. And I think that Munkin probably thrives in an environment like that, if I had to guess. All right, we're going to talk some more coaching stuff in a moment around the SEC. But first, let me remind you, it's time to cruise around the SEC, courtesy of our friends at Royal Caribbean. Of course, we're getting excited about a couple of things here. My family, we have our vacation coming up in a few weeks, and you better believe, man, we are so looking forward to that. Uh, I continue to say, and this is one of those things that you probably maybe have experienced too, the stuff that's going on you know, for us right now, kind of making the plans for shore excursions that we want to be a part of, and especially restaurants we want to eat at, we're going to be on Wonder of the Seas, uh, you know, all that stuff for us almost ends up being as fun as the trip itself, because it's those conversations you have where... You know, my daughter will chime in about something she wants to do. My son will chime in about something he wants to do. My wife has her own opinions there as well. And the conversation that you have about a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation where you're getting excited about the trip you're going to take, it ends up being just as much fun as really anything. So we're kind of in that spirit here right now. And really, I get a chance to not only do that in February, but do that same thing with all of you uh, when it comes to uh, the great Dog Nation cruise we have coming up in April. By the way, for those of you who are going to be on the Dog Nation cruise, we're actually going to have a fun kind of uh opportunity here coming up pretty soon i think to talk more about this and kind of have some uh, really good stuff coming out about all of that and i can't wait to tell you more about that then because it's time to get excited about it if you're going to be on board it's time to start doing your own planning stuff and thinking about in addition to the great dog nation events there are going to be some special ones all the fun things that you want to do on board independence of the seas you, know, you can go online you can kind of see all the various decks and the and the entertainment options and and the great stuff and you know reach out to me we can talk more about this we're going to be you know doing that a lot it's time to start getting excited about that too or your own trip when you have that plan we hear from dog nation bigly listeners all the time we're like ba i just got back from so and so ship was doing this doing that uh, i just love to hear folks enjoying that royal caribbean cruise vacation so get yours going still maybe a little bit of time to be a part of this dog nation cruise too royaldogs.com for more on that royaldogs.com for more on that or you can give jessica a call 770-718-9147 that's 770-718-9147 all right let me give you a couple of cruising around the sec stories here for a minute one of the ones that i think is really interesting out there right now is that yesterday tennessee coach josh heupel got a big contract extension and a big raise now taking him to a robust nine million dollar a year figure now, I have a little bit of divided feelings on Hypel, and I'll lay it out like this. So when you put him at $9 million a year, you are now putting him in the same category of, you know, just below the Kirby Nick Saban category, but kind of right there in like the, the Brian Kelly category. And Kelly's been in the playoff twice. Um, you're kind of putting him in the Jimbo Fisher category. Now, Right now, it sort of feels like Jimbo is a worse coach than Josh Heupel. Maybe he is, but Jimbo Fisher won a national championship. So the point is, is that when you give Josh Heupel this big raise, you're putting him into a category of coaches who are more accomplished than Heupel is. And so obviously what Tennessee is saying here is, is that we believe that Josh Heupel is eventually going to be just as accomplished as those other coaches. He's going to match their performance with the guys that he's sort of in the same salary category with here right now. And here's what I'm here to tell you. 
for Heupel where he was this year, 10-2, and two, uh, nice win against Alabama, but ultimately no real hardware at the end of the season, that's obviously a really good year. But the next step from good year to great year, when you go 11-1, and one, which would be the next next step for this program, an 11-1 and one type situation, a legitimate playoff contender, y'all, that step is just a doozy. It, it, it just is. And if Heupel's going to do that, it's – it's one of those things where you can't just be good. You also have to displace somebody else. You know, you have to um, you have to displace them all along the way towards doing that. And, you know, that means beating an Alabama again, finally beating a Georgia to be able to do that. And I just don't know that I'm there in terms of Tennessee taking that next step as a program. But on the flip side of that, the one thing that I do think that Josh Heupel has established for himself, so much about you know, sports, maybe life too, but sports. So much of this is about having an identity, some sort of calling card. And I don't think there's any doubt that Heupel has established a calling card for himself within the SEC. And maybe within college football overall, but certainly within the SEC, I do think that Josh Heupel has established himself as a big time offensive coach. And if you're a Georgia fan, while, you know, ultimately Tennessee didn't prove to be the threat to you this year that some people maybe thought they would be, hoped they would be, wished they would be, the truth is, moving forward, when Tennessee is on your schedule, and for now we're kind of still in this old SEC East scheduling model, so Georgia will continue to play Tennessee for the you know the the, the very near future, certainly in Knoxville later on in, in November. You know, when Tennessee's on your schedule, I do think the Georgia fan will need to give some respect to Heupel, need to give some respect to the Vols from the standpoint of you know that's going to be a team that scores. Now, are they good enough on balance in all phases to be a true playoff contender? It remains to be seen. This past year, they fell short of that. But are they a dangerous tough out for Georgia, who they play every year right now, for Alabama, who they may continue to play every year? Are they a dangerous tough out because of what they can do offensively? Yes, I believe they are. And when we start making our lists of, hey, best so-and-so in the SEC here for the season, when we get to best quarterback in the SEC, I do think you have to leave a place near the top for the Tennessee quarterback. And listen, we're not Vols fans here, and I don't you know, revel in saying anything good about Tennessee. But if you want to know and understand part of the reason why Heupel's going to get paid $9 million, that's kind of what it comes down to is that there is a calling card in place at Tennessee right now. There is an identity at place at Tennessee right now where you can say this team is going to be good enough offensively that you have to respect that, that you have to be paying attention to that. So whether it's Joe Milton to begin the year, maybe Nico uh, takes over at some point during the year, Vols are likely to score points. Now, does this make them a true threat to Georgia to actually win the game in Neyland Stadium later on this fall? I don't quite think so as of yet, as I said before. The next step for Tennessee is a program's real doozy. Not quite so sure they can take that. But they are likely to remain a good team. They're likely to remain a dangerous team because of what they can do offensively. And I guess over the course of the next few years, the Vols fans can decide for themselves if that's worth, if that's worth $9 bucks per year. Uh, speaking of Alabama, I mentioned them a moment ago. There is an interesting debate going on amongst Bama fans right now. And sometimes, you know, they'll say, oh, you Georgia fans argue about silly stuff. Listen, Alabama fans are showing you right here they're more than capable of arguing about some silly stuff. So there's this guy on Twitter the other day that said something in effect of, hey, uh, Jalen Hurts just became the first Alabama quarterback to win a playoff game since so-and-so. It's actually been quite a long time. And then a lot of other folks came in and they're like, wait, hold on. What now? Excuse me? Jalen Hurts, former Alabama quarterback, winning a playoff game. And I think it leads to a pretty interesting discussion. Bama fans are having this right now. We probably should all have this there as well. 
as Jalen Hurts leads the Philadelphia Eagles to a great deal of success, he's frankly a much better NFL quarterback than I ever expected him to be. I think it leads to an important question. Is Jalen Hurts' success at the NFL level, does that represent Alabama, the team that he once played for? Or does that represent Oklahoma, the team that he was said to have played for when he was drafted? And I tell you, this sort of feels underhanded to me a little bit that these Alabama fans are now, after the fact, trying to claim Jalen Hurts as one of theirs uh, now that he's winning with the Philadelphia Eagles, given the fact that Alabama and his coach, Nick Saban, kicked him to the curb in place in, in favor of Tuatungo Vailoa. And this is one of those things that, man, history is really funny how it can take twists and turns over the course of years. Because when Saban benched Jalen during the national championship game and went to Tuatungo Vailoa, obviously Georgia fans have to live with the pain of that moment forever. But the aftermath of that, man, it is so different than those Bama fans thought it was going to be. Because the truth is, is that coming back in 2018, you know, this was an Alabama team that was thought to be one of the greatest teams of all time. They got embarrassed in the national championship game that year to Clemson. And in 2019, they didn't make the playoff at all. And all of a sudden, the legacy of Tua Tungo-Vailoa, yes, he came in through the pass against Georgia. And as I said before, no choice but to live with that if you're a UGA fan. But what Alabama was supposed to have gotten for the courageous decision of benching Jalen Hurts during the national title game, I'm actually not quite so sure it worked out quite like they thought it was going to. And frankly, I'm not quite so sure it's been fully considered just how disappointing the Tua Tungo Vialoa era turned out to be. And now it uh, looks like Tua is also looking for a new home in the NFL there as well, while Jalen Hurts is thriving in Philadelphia. So I think this is pretty interesting. A, I think that Jalen Hurts deserves a lot of credit for what he's made of himself in the NFL, and I say that full stop as a guy who did not necessarily expect him to have the kind of success that he's had here thus far. But also, I mean, typical Alabama, the same team that just sort of claims national championships out of thin air is all of a sudden rewriting history now to make Jalen Hurts one of their own, even though they essentially kicked him out of the uh, program in favor of Tua Tungo Valo, a decision that does not look very good in retrospect. So count me among those who say as Jalen Hurts moves on to conference championship Sunday here this weekend it is former Oklahoma quarterback Jalen Hurts who is doing that uh one more here speaking of Alabama so there's some chatter out there right now of who the next Alabama offensive coordinator is going to be now keep in mind Alabama's got to hire two coordinators here right now but the offensive side is pretty interesting because you're starting to see some media stuff come out of well maybe Alabama ought to hire Dan Mullen this is one of those things. Have you heard it said before that we're all living in a simulation? The idea that this is kind of like reality is sort of like a matrix style thing where it's actually just a computer simulation. I think that nothing would prove we're actually living in a simulation more than if Dan Mullen actually became the Alabama offensive coordinator. So far, there's really nothing more than just like sort of wild reckless speculation to suggest that Mullen could be Alabama's next offensive coordinator because at last check it's not even obvious that Dan Mullen even wants to coach again uh so it's not even it's 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 not obvious that 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 Mullen even wants to to suit up and coach again much less for a demanding coach like Nick Saban might be when as it stands right now Mullen's kind of living at the lake and relaxing and doing things like that but you'll make it you'll make it fun for Georgia fans the coach they love to hate, Dan Mullen, the coach that we've always just you know reveled in mocking, the idea that he could go try to be the savior for Nick Saban in Alabama. Uh, and, and listen, if anybody knows that Dan Mullen can be a sharp coaching mind, I guess Nick Saban does. Mullen certainly scored plenty of points against him in the pandemic bowl 2020 SEC championship. So, you know, from that standpoint, maybe, uh, maybe, uh, uh, 
Nick Saban's got great respect for Dan Mullen. Maybe he does. But for Georgia fans who might, you know, have something to laugh about, if uh, if Saban did end up hiring Dan Mullen, that could be uh, certainly pretty entertaining. No sense yet that there's anything real to that, really, at all. I would say that's probably more real than Cliff Kingsbury, the other big name that gets thrown around here. I don't even think Kingsbury wants to coach as it stands right now. He's way out in Thailand or somewhere like that. But um, But we'll follow this and see if anything actually does become of this because it has been speculated here thus far, and I think the Georgia fans might get a pretty big kick out of that if that were to become the case. We'll make that cruising around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean. I'm going to get back to Georgia uh, football here in a moment, but I mentioned those conference championship games a moment ago. Let me also give a shout out to our friends at my bookie as a way of getting ready for the action here this weekend. Because if you're thinking about watching, you know, Philadelphia, San Francisco, Cincinnati, uh, see if Joe Burrow can stay hot over in the AFC championship game side of things, as you're getting ready for all of that, of course, a great way to make that action even more fun, more enjoyable is to have some bets down on the game. And so this is a great time to open up your account with our friends at my bookie if you have not done that. In fact, when you find my bookie online, just type my book into your browser the internet will do the work for you after that and when you use the promo code dog nation you're gonna get a big deposit bonus just for signing up they're gonna essentially double your first deposit so if you put in four hundred dollars they'll put four hundred dollars into your account you've got eight hundred dollars before you even win your first bet then after that you play you win you get paid it's winning season here at my book and they're gonna give you that big deposit bonus up to a thousand dollars when you open that account so once again find my bookie online just let the internet browser kind of do that for you use the promo code dog nation get the big deposit bonus and then you can enjoy whether it be the golf over toy pines or the uh the the, the pro football conference championship games college basketball i was actually watching a little bit of college basketball last night you got dogs not against tennessee by the way best of luck to them up there at a thompson bowling arena uh, whatever the action is this time of year, it's more fun with our friends at MyBookie. So find them online, MyBookie, use the promo code DOGNATION, and then take advantage of winning season there with our friends at MyBookie. And of course, it has been winning season for these Georgia Bulldogs here the last couple of years. And that was really nice uh, earlier this week when Stetson Bennett won the Manning Award, which is the uh, award for the top quarterback, which considers postseason success into the uh, reason why you win the award. I thought near the end of that press conference, Stetson Bennett did a nice job kind of reflecting on his time here at UGA. And in a lot of ways, this was, I think, kind of a fitting into, you know, uh, Stetson kind of looking back on all the things that have kind of happened. Obviously, he's kind of had, you know, kind of a wild career at Georgia. Anybody who sticks around for a long time, you're going to have some ups and downs maybe along the way. But Stetson, I thought, was really good at reflecting on this a little earlier this week. So I want to give you a little bit more of a taste of this before we wrap up today's show. This is Stetson Bennett talking about how he thinks his Georgia career, the time at Georgia, the legacy that he and all of his teammates put together at Georgia, how it will be remembered. This is Stetson Bennett from earlier this week. For me, I hope that, um, you know, the people who who were around uh, when it started and, you know, all the way to when it finished and it's going to keep going, you know, in Georgia, Coach Smart's not going to go anywhere, but, um, you know, the fans who were there and, and the players who were there, the ones – you know, Nick and Sony, uh, you know, um, all those ones that came that came before us, you know, the fans that traveled uh, to Notre Dame in uh, 17, you know, overtook that stadium. We went to the Rose Bowl that same year. Um, I just I hope that, you know, everybody can remember what it was like on that ride because it was nuts. It was nuts. Um, you know, them hating me, me hating them, us falling in love together, and, you know, coming back, playing football. <laughs> I mean, it was the, yeah, I mean, you know, Dennis, you know, 
Um, I mean, it, it it was special, and um, I wouldn't change a single thing. Uh, I don't think I'd be here without it being that way. I just think that's really interesting from uh, Stetson Bennett. And, you know, the other thing you mentioned about the 2017 season, listen, Georgia's gone on since then to have more success than that. They've won the last two national championships, as you're aware, no doubt. But for me, I still have incredible memories of the 2017 season. I was lucky enough to be in South Bend uh, and Chicago that weekend for that Georgia-Notre Dame game. And I'm glad that Stetson Bennett's got great memories of that, even though that's kind of like prior to his time as a player. He was the scout team quarterback on that team that year. I'm glad that he has great memories of it. And it's actually kind of weird for me to think that with Stetson leaving and Robert Beal leaving, that Georgia's on-field connection to that 2017 season is kind of now over. And, you know, Stetson says, hey, the Georgia success is not going to stop anytime soon because Kirby Smart's not going anywhere. But we have sort of reached, if you'll allow me to say it this way, kind of the end of the beginning, haven't we? Because the 2017 season was the the bedrock you know, foundation for what would come after that. And all of a sudden now all the players off that team are gone. I mean, the same coaches are still here, but those sort of early days of Kirby Smart as a head coach, we've kind of transitioned now to something else. And Smart's kind of now, I mean, you know, he, he's obviously got the the experience now. And he's been here for a while and he's kind of worked on kind of a, a historic type resume here. Obviously back-to-back national champions will kind of do that for you. But hearing Stetson talk there makes me do, you know, kind of realize that, hey, we've sort of reached the end of the beginning of the fact that Kirby's not really kind of a young coach anymore. I mean, he's still young, but he's not, you know, he's not as young as he, you know, was. He's not an inexperienced coach anymore. He's an experienced coach who's had great success. And that 2017 season that sort of started all this starts to feel a bit more like a little bit of a distant memory. Hearing, hearing, uh, uh, Stetson talked about that this week kind of got me a little nostalgic not just for what George has done the last couple of years but what it did do in 2017 and how much fun that was and then a little bit more for Stetson Bennett on how special this 2022 season was for him in particular there as well here's Stetson one more time I hope that uh that everybody who who, who was there and, and everybody who um was with me and, and everybody that I was with uh, just knows that I appreciate the the heck out of it um you know everything and uh i don't know i don't know how it's going to be <laughs> remembering posterity but uh i do know that 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 i appreciate it and um i enjoy going and and um looking at it all and um i don't know i took a few days a little bit ago just to kind of think about it and be like you know what that was um I don't know if you guys have ever seen the last waltz, but I, I think I think that game against TCU was was kind of that. Um, it was a it was an ode to an era that uh, that is over now, but uh, it, it was pretty special whenever it happened. I'm embarrassed to say everybody in the world seems to know what the last waltz is, but me, maybe my you know I guess my uh, pop culture uh, credentials are starting to slip here a little bit. But I think what Stetson says there is also really valuable to consider too, which is that. Like, ultimately, I'm happy to hear him say, hey, I've stopped and I've appreciated this. I've stopped to take time to think about what we were a part of. And I think we all owe it to ourselves to do that. You know, we all get busy and college football is one of these things where you sort of just sort of roll right into the next thing. And uh, the future can be exciting, as we said, to start our show today, looking at the next quarterback, looking at the next this and that. That can all be really exciting. But there is something to also be said, too, for stopping and appreciating what has happened, what just happened, what we're still kind of in the midst of. You know, we're still kind of in the present tense. 
with Georgia having just won the national championship, that taking time to appreciate that is great. And maybe it gets even better from here. It's certainly a possibility. But I don't think it has to get better from here for what has happened here to be really, really special. And, you know, one way or another, this is an era that I think we'll be telling stories about for the rest of our lives. Uh, no matter where it goes from here, where it has been is uh, pretty great. And uh, Stetson Bennett did a good job of kind of summing that all up here this week. Let me also give a shout out to our friends at the Finish Long Drink here before we say goodbye to you there as well. You know, each and every Friday on our show, we have what we call our Big Finish presented by the Finish Long Drink, where we showcase some of you who are enjoying that Finish Long Drink. And if you haven't tried some, this is a great time to do that. If you go to thelongdrink.com, you can put in your zip code and you can find out where you can find some close to you. Whether it be bars, restaurants, a lot of you getting back out to the golf courses again. There are a lot of golf courses that uh, have, you know, that finished long drink. It goes great as you're playing golf. Many of our folks would kind of attest to that for you there as well. Whether it's the long drink cranberry with the cranberry flavor, the long drink strong, 8.5% alcohol by volume, long drink zero, no carbs, no sugar on that. The traditional comes in a blue can. It's got the, the kind of grapefruit citrus flavor, the gin kick. It is all fantastic, and you can try all of that today just put that uh in your uh longdrink.com put in your zip code there and you can find out where you can pick up some finished long drink and then on friday here on our big finish presented by the the finished long drink we'll showcase you enjoying some uh right there then our friends at the finished long drink big part of what we do here at dog nation daily all right so for our golden shoe today um I want to show this because it was shared with me. Georgia punter Brett Thorson doing something very funny. Now, go find Brett on social media and you can see the video they put together. I'm not going to play the audio for you there on this just because it's a movie thing and big tech will, you know, slap our wrist, uh, or, uh, you know, if, if we do this. But uh, uh, UGA Chris M shared this with me saying the punter we have is hilarious and it's Brett Thorson. And so what Brett basically does is he says, with year one being complete, I thought I'd give a little insight into a conversation I had with Stetson Bennett during the season while trying to work out this American football thing. So it's his face, Stetson Bennett's face going back and forth in conversation. But it's from the movie Talladega Nights where, you know, the character's asking the Will Ferrell character of, hey, maybe you could slingshot me and let me win a game and let me win one of these races. And then Will Ferrell's character says, well, if I won, or if you won, how could I win? And he's like, oh, that's right. I don't really want to win. So basically, it's, you know, it's, it's the same joke that Thorson's used before, but the fact that Stetson Bennett doesn't like him, doesn't let him be on the field, doesn't ever let him punt because George is always scoring points. Very funny stuff from Brett Thorson, who obviously uh, uh, pretty talented here. So that's uh, pretty funny stuff. So we'll give Brett a, a golden shoe, and we'll give uh, Chris a golden shoe for sharing that with us. And by the way, we'll also remind you, lousy, stinking Gators, man, they're not laughing and having fun right now. All they're thinking about is 276 days from right now. The rivalry we believe for Georgia that matters more than any other. Good Georgia fan is a Gator hater first and foremost. And 276 days from now, Georgia back in Jacks will beating up on Florida again. Y'all have a great day. We'll see you back here tomorrow for Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pest Management. <laughs>